<coughs> okay, we should be there. I've got it a little bit lower. Hopefully, well, hopefully it'll it'll help. I feel really awkward. I got here and uh, after I got done doing, it, I grabbed more stuff than I normally do on a Sunday morning, and I got distracted, and so I'm nervously rubbing my hands because I don't have my Bible with me. My sword is at home. I didn't realize that until it didn't help. There's something here. Um, so bear with me. I'm going to do the best that I can. It's, uh, it just feels, even though it's, it's the Word of God, it's the same uh, version, it still feels weird and awkward. It is. Different, it's different and it's and, and the, words in, in, the words of Christ are not in red, and that really bugs me. So um, bear with me. <laughs> um, through it all, God is king, and he knows what he's doing. He knew this would happen, and I didn't. But uh, it was a shock when I printed off my paper and sat it down, expecting to move my Bible, and I went through the motions. There's nothing there. It's bizarre. Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. After after all that, um, it's uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship. Um, feel like we're gonna tilt this way. Poor Vi's gonna get tossed into the that side of the building, um, but that's okay. Um, so this morning, um, as I uh, was thinking about it, even from last week, um, the one thought that I couldn't get out of my mind was, you know, as we're preparing for Passion Week. Um, starting next Sunday, when it really the official takes off, and we start with uh, with the uh, triumphal entry and the the whole visual and the physical of all that and the the cool traditions that we sometimes have and and uh, the expectations. Um, and I couldn't help but think about that time. Um, Jesus in the week prior to that time, knowing what was coming. And I couldn't get that thought out of my head, and I had to think about that. And so just began looking and searching in Scripture and seeing those uh, that time just before that week was about to begin. Uh, before he knew that he was going to go to Jerusalem and um, be there, and I mean, think about it, the, the, the impact, the, uh, the wonderment, the... the utter sadness that had to have come and overtake him. Uh, in one in one of the uh, um, one of the um, gospels it says that that he was uh, um, burdened even unto death it just it just weigh, was weighing so heavy on him I mean he knew where he was headed he's with and surrounded by hand-picked disciples and they don't they don't get it they're, they're clueless. They don't understand what he's really talking about. He's, uh, um, he's explaining to them, even in the week prior, as they're headed to Jerusalem, he's telling them, we're going to go to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. And we're going to see in the, the passage that we're going to be reading in today, we're going to do mostly just reading in, in the scriptures because it's important. And uh, I'm telling you something right here. I'll stand to the side of it. Okay. Um, I don't know what's there, but it's, it seems like every time I stand right directly in front of it, I'm close to it, it interference of something. But um, um, I had to think about that. That I mean, think about the fact that he knew what was coming. He's trying to explain to them and express to them um, for the last time before it actually takes place what's going to happen. And the understanding, remember, Jesus doesn't, he's not just like you and I, just talking to them, hoping they get it, and hoping that maybe, just maybe, they might understand. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what their um, minds are are, uh, uh, focused on. He knows where their hearts are. He knows what's going on within them. Um, And he knows what's coming. And it weighs heavy on him. And in the, the week to come, you know, in that the whole week, he's, he knows he's going to be fulfilling Scripture. He's going to be fulfilling the Old Testament. He's going to be doing those things that are written about him, and he knows expressly that that's what he's going to do. 
I mean, think about that. And no one around him, both the handpicked and all the other multitudes that followed him everywhere, they had no clue what he was really talking about. And why is that? We're going to cover some of that, some of those things. And and Jesus knew full well what was coming, without a doubt. And what was going to happen in, in you know, in our time, a week's time, you know, we're going to be uh, uh, worshiping and we're going to be celebrating the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's triumphal on one sense, but in the other sense, it's not. And remember that, that picture that's being painted. Um, he's being received by, in the, the week to come, he's going to be received by these with adulation, with uh, exaltation, with they're exalting in who he is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King. And because that's what the fulfillment of, of that scripture tells us in the Old Testament, the prophecy that your king will come, you will behold him. And he's going to be writing something very specific. And the picture is, as a king, in those times when a king would come, and he was a conquering king, he'd generally come on the biggest, most powerful, sleekest, healthiest, white steed that they could find. To show that he's coming in power, and he's coming to take over. He's the king of, of might. Glory. But he's coming humbly on a donkey. And that was a tradition. That's what they did. They would come, the kings that would come, and when they came on a donkey, they would come and express, and the people would understand, and with great relief, he's coming on a donkey. He's coming in peace. He's not meaning to, to you know, start anything. He didn't come with fighting words. He's come in peace. And so it's a great picture. But he also knows the betrayal that's coming. He knows that a week following that, they're going to be crying out something entirely different. And imagine that. Imagine knowing in advance. I'm glad we don't know. I'm glad we don't know. I'm glad we don't know who's betraying us as we're even talking to them and, and in their minds just, you know, I'm glad we don't have, I, I couldn't deal with it. I'd be, uh, I would have been dead a long time ago because I would have had the, you know, had the uh, death penalty put upon me. And so thank God that, that, you know, he came meek and mild and he came for the purpose that he did and that he was able to deal with it. But I still couldn't help but think, man, what a, what a lonely, he's the most lonely individual that's ever lived when you think of it. I mean, it brings, it brings uh, uh, more uh, attention and detail, and it brings more uh, picturesque uh, view of his holiness, that he's totally set apart. And when we mean totally set apart, he is utterly set apart. He's totally different than any one. He's utterly unique. And here he is with his hand-picked disciples, and he tells them what's going to take place in the future. So these are the, some of the things that I was thinking about. And, and I started reading through some of the Gospels because I love this time of the year because it reminds me to go back and look at the things that happened. See the things that took place. Look at what he endured and, and, and remind myself of the cross and all that led up to that. Because it helps us to remember. Um, uh, I can't remember who, who it was. I want, I want to make sure I attribute it to the... I think it was Martin Luther that... Uh, that said it's, it's important for us to um, daily, at least once daily, remind ourselves of this one thing, the gospel. Remind ourselves daily of the gospel. He came and he died for us. And, and I couldn't help but, but keep thinking about that as I'm reading through these things. So I want this morning, I want to begin reading in, uh, in Matthew. Uh, that's where our focus is going to be, Matthew 20. This is the time prior, be, before coming into Jerusalem. And so I just kind of wanted us to, to get that um, in the back of our minds as we, as we go into Palm Sunday, to, to get a view of some of the things that were actually going on and taking place in the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples, and to see the contrast, to see the utter contrast of, of the things that were happening. 
So let's uh, let's read uh, some of these passages as we begin here. Um, but I want to uh, uh, begin with um, I'm going to begin in chapter 19. Um, Jesus had just got done talking to the rich young ruler, as recorded in Matthew. And he's at the end of that uh, that whole exchange and everything. And the disciples had some questions. They were listening. They're hearing. They're hearing what he's saying. They're hearing what's going on, what's taking place in this conversation. And towards the end, the, the disciples come to him um, in uh, verse 23 of chapter 19. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a pretty hard saying when you think about it. He's not saying that the rich cannot be saved. He just said it's hard because you've got the things of this earth. Where um, the poorest of us are distracted by the things of the earth, right? How much more so when you've got all this money and you can do whatever you want? You know, how much more so is that? He says it's, it's hard. And listen to verse 25. He says, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? They were greatly astonished when they heard it. Uh, saying, who then can be saved? Because remember, the, the Jewish mindset was the ones that were wealthy, they were the ones that were blessed of God, so they must be at the front of the line. Right? They're, they're the ones who are the front. They're the ones who God is blessing the most, so they must be the ones who are the best off in God's eyes. That's their mindset. They're thinking, the rich guy can't make it. Woo, what does that say about me? Um, and listen, Jesus looks at them in verse 26, and he says to them, with men, this is impossible. And this is the point. Salvation is impossible with men. Can't happen. Not going to happen. But he says, but with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. And amen. And he says, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we, we blessed all, followed you, and therefore, what shall we have? He's trying to figure this out. Jesus says to them, assuredly, I say to you that in that the regeneration, listen, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of his glory, you who have followed me. He's teaching the principle of the here, but not yet. The now, but not yet. It's in the future. Those who follow me into the, the regeneration, that, that uh, in the regeneration that the Son of Man who sits on, on the throne of his glory, um, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now remember, he's speaking specifically to his disciples. And he says, this is going to be what your reward is. But it's not yet. This is what your promise. It's the same thing that Abraham was experiencing. It's the same thing that, that Isaac and, and Jacob all experienced. They hadn't entered into that land yet. They were promised the land. They were promised certain things, but they believed God. And even though it didn't come to fulfillment in their own lifetime, they still believed God. And, annoying, annoying. Um, and he says, uh, not only will you sit on 12 thrones, you'll be judging the 12 tribes, and everyone who has left houses, and this is important, everyone who has left houses, and or brothers, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or land. That's a lot of stuff to leave behind. That's a lot of stuff to take your focus off of. Um, you see why it's impossible for men, and why it's only possible with God? Does anyone who leaves any of these things for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold? That's, that's pretty awesome. Even Job, when in all that he suffered, he only got double. Right? He says, you're going to get a hundred. Everybody should be up here dancing and cheering. And like, yeah, a hundredfold. Um, who leaves all this for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold. And 
in addition to that, inherit eternal life. That's good news, y'all. Because when you inherited something, what did you do to get it? Zilch. You were just born. That's it. It's given to you. It's eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. It's an important thing to think about um, as the week was uh, unfolding and as he's headed to Jerusalem. Um, this is what he was having them focused on. He wasn't focused on all the stuff that he was going to go through. He knew it full well. He understood it. And yet he was ministering to them. It's just an awesome picture. Um, let's, let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your uh, goodness and your grace, for your mercies, for your kindnesses which are new every morning. Lord, we thank you that you are the living Christ, the Son of the living God who has come and who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We thank you that we can call out to you and cry out to you. We can cry out to the living Christ who rose again from the dead. We thank you that we can reach out to you, that we know that you are there, that you have revealed yourself, and within the pages of Holy Writ, we can find you. And when we seek you, we seek you there first. Father, I thank you for your word, that it is written, that it has been established, that it has been transmitted through time, and that we can read it, and we can drink it in, that we can, we can make a meal of it, Every day, the living bread, and that we can abide in it. Thank you for all that you did, for all that you were willing to do, and all that you accomplished there on that hill so long ago. We thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your word. Pray that you would open up our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to these truths. For your name's sake, for your glory's sake, alone be glorified, be exalted in this place. In Jesus' holy name, amen. He says, the, but many who are first um, will be last, and the last will be first. Then he goes on in verse uh, chapter 20. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed, the laborers uh, for a denarius, he, he agreed with them to, to pay them a day's wage. He sent them into his, uh, his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour, and saw uh, others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into, my, into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went out uh, on the sixth and the ninth hour, and did like And... <clears throat> About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. When somebody hires you, you're expecting something. Usually you negotiate right up front. Tell them, Okay, this is what they're expecting. That's what it is. Um, so they just went and worked. Hey, man, it's the 11th hour. It's towards the end of the day. And somebody's hiring us. I'll take, I'll take anything. Beggars can't be choosers, right? You need, you need money to live. So uh, in verse 8, he says, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Okay. What's the expectation here? Calling the last first. I'll tell you what our expectation is. When they call the last first, it's like, well, these guys are going to get paid last, so you know, they came in late and so on and so forth. Um, there's a certain expectation, but he says to call the last ones first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. Days wait. Each one of them received a denarius, a day's wage. Um, and 
Uh, excuse me, I lost my place here. This isn't my Bible. I'm getting lost here. Uh, verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. Like, yeah, those guys only got, they got a denarius, so we're, we should get more, right? That was the expectation. And it sounds just like us, right? That's how we think in these days. That's, that's how we think. Hey, they only work for a couple of hours. I work 10 hours. I should get more, right? And in a sense, that's fair. But when you're working with somebody that's generous and is giving you a day's wage already, um, that's what you agreed upon. And we'll get to that. So they expected to get more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last have worked one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Pretty straightforward. He's like, hey, you guys want to work today? Sure. Okay, here's, here's what I'll pay you. They could have said, no, 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 hold on. What about this? You know, give me a denarius plus another half a denarius. No, they just said, okay, that's great. They're happy. This is a generous, generous master. This is a generous, generous vine owner. He's the one who owns the vineyard. And he's just very generous. He says, I, I've done you no wrong. This is what we agreed upon. Um, he says, did you not agree with, with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. This is not only generous, it is grace. And it's the idea of what the kingdom is going to be like. It doesn't matter how long people labor in, in the Lord. We're all going to get the same thing. Remember, um, a hundredfold and eternal life. We're going to get eternal life. We're going to get the same thing. And that's what he wishes to give. He's gracious. He's kind. He's merciful. He's generous. He says, I wish to give to the last man the same as you. It is not, um, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own thing? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Kapow. I love this, this fact that Jesus deals with the people this way when he's talking. Um, in other places where Jesus is making some, uh, some point, he looks at the crowd and he's preaching to them and he calls them all evil. Wicked. And he's not holding any punches back. He's not being mean. He's not being vicious. He's just being straightforward and honest. He says, is it your evil eye because I'm good? Then he says, so the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Now going up to Jerusalem, uh, he took the twelve disciples aside on the road. So he's explained what the kingdom is going to be like, knowing what he's headed for. He's headed to Jerusalem. He takes the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, this is really what I want more to focus on. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, this is his his uh, um, his moniker for himself. He says, The Son of Man will be betrayed by the chief priests to the scribes and to the scribes, and they will condemn him and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. And then all of a sudden, we jump into this different discourse. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And I don't think it wasn't that they weren't listening. I think that they're distracted. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with. We get distracted. The things of the Spirit even for the born-again believer, are sometimes hard to grasp. Because we're so um, inculcated with our culture that's around us. Right now, it's hard for, for us with all the lunacy, the wickedness, the stupidity, all the crazy stuff that's going on. Um, just, just yesterday I was reading, or maybe it was Friday, um, that uh, 
a certain political party wants to revive this this old, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, since some of you are too young to remember, some of us will remember the old ERA push, Equal Rights Amendment from way back in the 70s. It got put to death for good reason. Thank God for that. But in this, uh, this party that's trying to revive this, this is the same party that is trying to pass a bill that is called the Equality Act. It has nothing to do with equality. But it has everything to do with penalizing people like us who believe that God in the beginning created male and female. And if you say so, not only are you suspect, you're a criminal. You're a hate speech. They want to pass that. And if they pass that, and that's to more than anything to protect and to promote transsexuality. This perversion that is being pushed as normal. Um, well, <laughs> they want to protect that and promote that. At the same time, they want to revive this old ERA women's rights bill. But women have no rights if there's no such thing as gender. But what's the purpose? It makes no sense. It's crazy, isn't it? This time that we're, that we're in, and, and people, they can't see this. They can't see the, the hypocrisy and the, the, the um, moronic, you know, uh, uh, arguments that they're making. They don't see this disconnect. It's so strange. It's in a weird time. And so we can get distracted by all that stuff. I see people all the time, and, and I can get distracted when I get too politically, start digging in all that. There's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of information, a lot of stuff that will grab your attention. Plus, we can get distracted. These guys were distracted. How do we know? Well, look at what follows. Jesus just told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests, the guys who should be held up the highest, the guys who you look to. They're the ones who have the power. They're the ones who have the influence. They're the ones who can do whatever in accordance with the law, supposedly. They're going to betray me. And they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be scourged, to be crucified. He's telling them what's coming. And what happens next? Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's um, sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. This is what they're focused on. Focused on this. I mean, didn't they just hear what he just said? That they're going there for that purpose? They did, but they didn't. And there's a reason for that. Remember what he said in the, at the end of uh, chapter 19? Those that are in the regeneration, follow me. They're not there yet. It hasn't happened. It hasn't taken place. In my opinion, they're not born again. They're, they're the disciples of Christ. They've been handpicked. But that filling, the infilling of the Holy Spirit had not yet taken place. That was yet to come in Pentecost. So these poor guys are in the same condition that we were for most of our lives. I wasn't saved until 1996. I was born in 1964. That's a long time of being in the world, not being able to get this. Jesus would have told me stuff face to face and I wouldn't have got it. Because why? Because I was dead in my trespasses. So she comes, she asks, hey, can you grant that these two be on your right and your left? Jesus answers her in verse 22 and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He just told them what he was going to drink. Are you able to do that? Um, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? He's talking about that death. That horrific event that was going to come. That we will celebrate, we will commemorate in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> Saying, are you able to do that? They said, we're able. That tells you how dead in their trespasses and sin that they were. They had no clue what he was talking about. He just told them what was going to happen. And they're clueless. You see, the things of the Spirit have to be spiritually discerned. 
and the things of the flesh are the flesh. There's a whole difference. They didn't understand it. They couldn't. They were unable. They weren't made able to do this yet. He says to them in verse 23, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. He's like, your turn's going to come. Your turn's going to come. You indeed will drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom uh, it is prepared by my Father. Father is the one who's going to grant it. It's not mine to give. What amazing meekness this is. What a display of submission, gentleness. That's not mine to give. Um, that's whoever the Father has prepared for that. That's his business. Does that make Jesus unequal with the Father? No. He's equal with the Father. But he's submitted himself to his Father out of love and respect. And so he says, that's, that's for the Father to give. That's not for me to give. And in verse 24, he says, When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. There's that old green eye. That old jealousy comes up. And those guys are over there asking him about the kingdom and stuff. And they're mad at them. How dare they? How dare you? Um, they, were, they were displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority uh, over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. First, last, last. This is why we say in Christianity, do you have a servant's heart? That's the ultimate thing, to lay down your life for your friend. To have this heart of, 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 of servitude. Remember what it says in, in Philippians when we went through. Have this attitude in yourself that was in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, man, he was formerly God the Son in heaven before the foundations of the earth. And he left that behind and set it aside for a moment. He didn't become less God. He just lay aside all the privileges of being God. In other words, he left his glory for a moment. Because remember on the top of the mountain, it shone. And they couldn't see it. They couldn't look at it directly. They were amazed. They were blown away. Remember the response of Peter? Man, let's just make some tabernacles up here. We'll live up here in the mountain with, the, with all y'all. Because of all the glory that we've seen. And it was just a glimpse. It was just a, just a, just a quick flash. Remember the old flash? Remember the old Kodak with the little bulbs that would turn around? Yeah. They blind you. Whoosh. Yeah, those, uh, it was that kind of a thing where they couldn't look at it and they were blinded for a minute. He says, whoever wants to be great, let him be your servant. That's not like the world. That ain't like the world at all. This is turned upside down. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. This is uh, the picture that I wanted us to focus on as we go through this week and going into the next. Jesus knows what he's headed for. Um, and as they're headed there, he's explained to them what's going to happen, what's going to take place. And they're going to receive him in, in this scene that's going to unfold in Jerusalem. But that time had not yet come. And now he's having to deal with, with this stuff where they're so distracted. See, they still had their mindset on worldly things, on the worldly things. Hey, aren't we going to have a kingdom here on this earth? And aren't we going to be like something?
30 or 60 or 50. Um, he said, it's going to be, that's, that's not how it is, guys. It's not like that. It's something that you will experience. It's something that you will have. It's something that you have been promised. And you're going to get it. Not in a bad way. Not like, you're going to get it. No, you're, you're going to get what's been promised. You're going to receive that gift. And they couldn't. They couldn't get that. They, they, you know, they they didn't understand that fully. And I want to take a little bit of moment, uh, a moment, and, and look at this and uh, see it through the eyes of of John as well. There was another time when we'll we'll see where Jesus. He's next week that he's he's coming into Jerusalem and they're wanting to to receive him as king. This wasn't the first time in John chapter six. In John chapter six, we have another. Uh, picture that's painted long before this time. Um, and Jesus is there preaching. He's he's going to walk on the water, which is crazy in itself. Love to see that. That would be amazing. Um, but he does a miracle. He has compassion. And in John 6, chapter 1, or excuse me, John 6, verse 1. Um, he's on the mountain there. He's, he's going to preach. He's, he's given them a dissertation. He's given them a sermon. And he says in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him. Because what? Because they saw his signs, which he had performed. On those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat. With his disciples. Now the Passover. The feast of the Jews was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes. And seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip. Where shall we buy bread. That these may eat. But this he said. To test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. What's 200 denarii? Yeah, that's two-thirds of a year. This is not a small crowd. Because that much money can barely buy enough bread for them to each have a little bit. I mean, that's that's a pretty broad picture. That's an amazing picture when you think about it. That's that's a lot of people. So it wasn't just small crowds that were following. We're talking big crowds. And he sees them, and he has compassion on them. And Philip says, "Man, that two hundred is not going to be enough. And if even if we had that, it would only be sufficient for a little." One of his disciples in verse eight, Andrew. Simon Peter's brother said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Okay, here's a guy. He's got, he's got some barley loaves. Five of them. He didn't even know what he was, why he was saying this. He just kind of mentioned it. Now, Jesus says to him, Make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. This is an indication that there was 5,000 men. More than likely, there was there could have been double that, maybe even triple that. It doesn't include the number of children. It doesn't include the number of women, so far as we know. So if there was 5,000 men, like I said, it was a big crowd. It's a big, big crowd. So there's 5,000 men. Um, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples, um, to those sitting down, and likewise the fish, as much as they want. Remember the story before in Matthew, where he said he was generous? I'm going to pay the guy at the end of the day the same as the guys at the beginning of the day. Same way. Same thing, same idea here, same concept. 
He's generous. He's done this miracle. And you can't feed this many people with five loaves of bread and fish and they can have as much as they want. That's just not natural. Something supernatural was going on here. They had as much as they wanted. And verse 12, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments of the remaining so that nothing is lost. Leftovers. I love leftovers, I must say. And what did they gather? Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is coming to the world. What prophet is that? The one that Moses had prophesied. It said in uh, uh, Deuteronomy, hey, when, uh, you know, the time, yeah, when the, there's going to be a time when there's going to be a prophet that arises. He's going to come from you, my brothers. He's going to arise. He's going to be like me. He's going to be more than I. These guys are getting it. These are Jews who understood the prophecy. They knew the scriptures. They knew what was supposed to come. And they had they had declared this. This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. I mean, who can feed five, uh, this many people, 5,000 plus people, with five barley loaves and two fish? I mean, that would have had to been a giant, giant fish and some pretty big loaves otherwise. And it wasn't. There was nothing to indicate that. And notice when Jesus, before he did his, uh, his miracle, his, his uh, sign, he always gave thanks. Give thanks to the Father. Gratitude. Therefore, um, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into the mountain by himself alone in verse 15. Then he says, now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat and went over to the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come with them or come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So something supernatural is going on there. Something uber supernatural. He's walking on the water in the midst of a storm, and he just simply says, it's me. It's like all casual life. It's just me, guys. Don't be afraid. And not only that, all of a sudden they're at the other side of the sea on the shore that they were headed for. That's, that's mind-blowing. That's bizarre to think about. It's all of a sudden, boom, boom. And at least that's the way it reads. Supernatural things were going on. Remember, he had departed to be a, uh, by himself alone. Because why? Because they were, they were going to try to make him king. But he would have none of them. And why is that? Why is that? wasn't his king wasn't. Remember in Matthew where he told them right before the, the, the events were going to start unfolding he, he told them that there was a time when this is going to happen. And this is what it's appointed. It was an appointed time. God is the maker of time. He's the king of time. He's the director of time. He's the one that sets all things in time. And he wants us to understand that and to know that. As Solomon says, there's a time for everything. And he gives those times. Um, we often uh, read those at funerals when we're about ready to inter somebody. There's a time for everything under the sun. God has set things in time. And he's given them a certain amount of time. And when the time comes, then it's time to fulfill whatever it is that he's decreed. And Jesus knew this. He would have none of that. It's not time to make him king, guys. 
And what's weird is that he departs again. He's in the midst of this multitude. That's kind of weird. Because if you're in the midst of a multitude, how do you get through to be by yourself? You know, it's not like this entourage that we know of was, you know, security team was pushing him through. He just went away to be alone by himself. Something weird was happening here. More than I can express. I don't, I don't get it. But it's really awesome to, to think about. He says, do not be afraid. They see him walking on the water. They willingly receive him. And immediately the boat was on the landing where they were going. The following day, when the people were standing on the other side, the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they are ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. Notice the emphasis, giving, giving thanks. And this miracle took place. And they saw it. They themselves saw it. Because that's why they wanted to make him king. This is a guy. This has to be. How could this happen otherwise? However, uh, it says when, uh, verse 24, when the people therefore saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum. They were seeking Jesus. What a glorious thing. What a wondrous thing. Woe that uh, we didn't have more people that were seeking Jesus, that could seek Jesus, that would seek Jesus. Not the Jesus of their imagination, but the actual real true Jesus. They went seeking Jesus. Why? And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you were ate of the loaves and were filled. I bet you these were some good, this was some good bread and some really well done fish. Probably the best that they ever had. He says, because you were satisfied, you were filled. That's why you came. They were hungry for breakfast. They wanted more. That's why you were filled. You, you, I mean, that's why you came. You didn't come to seek me just to seek me. You came to seek me for what you could from me. You came to seek me for that. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Because remember, that's what he said. You're going to get a hundredfold, and you're going to receive what? Everlasting life, eternal life. For those who follow him in the regeneration. Regeneration is important. And we'll get back to that in a second. Um, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give. Here's that moniker again. Here's that title from the Old Testament, Son of Man. He's assigning it to himself. He's not talking about another person. He's talking about himself. And the fact that it says the Son of Man doesn't, change the fact that He is the Son of God. It doesn't take away from any of it. He's just using it to, to fulfill those things that are written about Him primarily in Daniel. And I would uh, um, commend to you to read the, the book of Daniel and understand when He talks about the Son of Man, what He's talking about. He says, this is the everlasting or the, the, the everlasting life. It's a food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has sent, has set His seal upon Him. And listen, they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What should we do? Alright, we agree with you. What should we do now? Jesus answers in verse 29 and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him. Whom he sent. That's it. You want to do the works of God? Uh, you want to uh, um, you want to receive eternal life and know that you're going to be in heaven by works? Well, here's the work. Believe. Believe in Christ. Repent of your sin and be saved. That's it. That's what he says. Believe. This is the work. 
This is the work that is acceptable to the Father. This is the only work that's acceptable to the Father. Because otherwise, the works that you do, if you're placing them, the importance on anything else that you do in the flesh, they have to equal that of Jesus Christ. And my friend, I have yet to meet the person that will say, oh, yeah, I can, I can, I can match that. Every time that I've had a conversation with somebody and they're talking about works and we go into this conversation and I said, do your work add up to what Jesus is, who he is. And they're honest. They don't answer about themselves. The answer is typically. Nobody could do that. Nobody could be like that. Jesus is Jesus. That is the point. Your works have to either equal his or forget about it. Forget about it. You're done. You're done. No, they, you, this is the work. Believe in whom the Father has sent. Simple. Believe in that one. This is the work that you believe in him who has sent. Now remember, they saw the feeding. They saw the multiplication. They saw the generosity. They saw the grace. They saw the compassion. They saw this, and this is the same group. Jesus answers them, just believe. And it's astounding to me, but I understand it, because I once was there in my B.C. era. My B.C. era is my before Christ, when he stepped in and shook up my life. And I understand it. I understand where they're coming from. I get where they're, what, what their uh, argumentation is here and what their question is. But it's astounding to us, it's astounding to me, when you simply tell people, here's the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because you're a sinner. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, he says this, or they say this, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? The day before, they wanted to take him and make him king. Now they're saying, what, what are you going to do in order to prove who you are? Huh, Jesus? How are we supposed to believe this? Huh? Right? Isn't it ridiculous? That's how lost we are. That's how fallen that we are. That's how depraved that we are in our natural state. They just saw five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 plus people. They saw it with their eyes. They said, hey, this is the prophet. This is the one. This is the guy. Let's make him king. And now they're saying, what sign are you going to do, Jesus? Why? Because the gospel is simple. The simplest of us can understand it. Child, children can understand. It's simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Um, what sign will you perform? What work will you do? <laughs> Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life. He is the living bread. So you think those loaves were something? That's nothing. Eat the bread that will satisfy you and fill you for eternity. That's the Going into um, the triumphal entry, going into um, next week as we begin the Passion Week with Palm Sunday, I want us to, to focus our minds on, on well, you know, why, why all this? Why, why this? And, you know, we see the lostness of people when they, they just, on one day they're ready to make him king because he's got to be the one. On the next day, he simply tells them, just believe. Believe in the one who sent. They did believe the day before. 
Now all of a sudden, it shows the fickleness of people. That's how we are. And from one moment to another, we're like that. We're distracted and we've forgotten already the things. Um, that's just the way that we are. We're fallen people. It reveals much, these passages, they reveal much about the human condition. Our deadness to the things of the Spirit. Their master just declared that he was headed for death and resurrection, and it's treated as if he um, never even mentioned it. The master just provided sustenance and food and provision for them when they had none, in the middle of nowhere. And they proclaimed him, this got to be the prophet. And now, the next day, <laughs> it's like, what, what are you going to do? What sign? What work? Um, we're fallen people. We're awful. Human beings are terrible. Well, we're told uh, by the Apostle Paul that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I want to read from Ephesians. We studied that we went through Ephesians before, but it's important that we understand this. Um, <clears throat> this is why all this stuff is unfolding. This is why Jesus came. Because you see, laid before you, that on the one day they're claiming him the king, want to take him and force him to be king. <laughs> Next day, what sign are you going to do? What work are you going to do? Come on, Jesus. It speaks to our deadness and to our lostness. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, this is what Paul wrote. And he says, in you, speaking to the church, he says, in you he made alive. Who were what? Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Sins multiple. How many of us can attest to that? I'm doing it with my left hand, folks. Yeah. Yeah, we're dead. This is before. Now listen, he says, he says, you were made alive, but before you were made alive, you were dead. You who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, so you're worldly. We were once worldly. We were once like everybody else. We were once just fallen. We were once just children of Adam. We were once just following after our original dad in the lostness and rebellion and in the sin, deserving of God's wrath. In that state, in our natural state, every single human being fits that condition. No one escapes from that condition. No one at all. Paul says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's that word, paripatete. You were trucking along in your sins and trespasses. And by the way, you enjoyed them. We enjoyed them. I enjoyed them. And we relished in them. And we couldn't wait to do it again. That's the fallen nature of man. Walked. We were walking. We were practicing. We were living it. We were doing it with fervor, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we, now look at Paul is including himself, praise God. Here's this great evangelist who God used so mightily. He didn't discount himself. He didn't um, not include himself. He included himself. And that should give us some peace and rest to understand. Paul saying, look, we all, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as well. That used to be our condition. That's our B.C. era. That's our B.C. era before we believed in 
the one whom the Father sent. That's, that's how we all were. At one time, we were all that. I love the beginning of chapter or verse 4. But God. Remember, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, just like the one who fed the 5,000, just like the one who, he said, I'm going to take the, the one guy at the beginning of the day and make a deal with him and pay him. And the guys throughout the day that are out there that haven't been invited to come work, I'm going to give them this because I'm generous. Same idea. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, and I love the fact that it's the past tense, loved. Because he loved us before the foundations of the earth. He chose to do that. Knowing all that we could. He loved us with his great love. It's not just a love, it's a great love. With which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us together. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Remember, what is it to do the works of God? Believe in what? In the one whom He has sent. Whom did He send? Jesus, yes. For we are His workmanship. He says, um, that, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, sometimes people accuse us Christians who believe in grace and who preach grace because it's all of grace. It's all of God's grace, salvation, sanctification, glorification. It's all of God's grace. And we're accused oftentimes of, you guys don't believe in works. Well, according to this, yes, we do. We're created for good works. We just don't believe that we're going to be saved by them. We don't believe that we're going to be kept saved by them. We just believe that they're already made so that we should walk in them. That word again. Instead of walking in the way that we did when we were dead in our trespasses, loving our sin. Right? Now, we love to do the things that God has called us to do. He's changed us and made us. He's giving us new life and it's all in Christ. It's created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. This is why in the regeneration, when God regenerates us, we begin to see things different. We begin to understand different. We begin to hear and see things different. Our whole life changes. Our spirit comes alive. I love that story of Lazarus. I get that picture. Where Lazarus is dead and he's, he's already begun to stink. His body's begun to rot. How powerful is God's salvation? That powerful. Even when our bodies have begun to rot, He can still draw us out of death. He calls us by name. And I get that picture. Dead in my trespasses. Sin. Filth. Calls. By name. Because you're His. You know Him. Have you believed in Him? Have you trusted Him? Have you repented of your sin? 
This is what Passion Week was all about. This is what it all began with. And imagine Jesus' loneliness. He didn't understand. Surrounded by this multitude, surrounded by this, these other people, these disciples, and then surrounded by this inner circle of disciples. And none of them could get it because they were not regenerate yet. I can only imagine what he must have felt and what he must have thought of and, and maybe even frustrated. I don't know. Maybe not. But to have those things happen where these people are this way and that way, there's no way to really tell what's going on because they're dead in their system. It takes God to bring you to life. It takes an understanding that we are sinners in need of repentance. We deserve God's wrath. We shouldn't receive God's wrath if we simple. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He is enough. As I've said in the weeks past, Jesus, if you believe that it's Jesus plus anything else that you have to do, it will send you to hell because you are not trusting in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You're trusting in your own things. Don't do it. Believe in Him. He is enough. He is powerful enough. His price that He paid on the cross is enough to take care of your sin and mine and the world's. Do you know Him? Would you trust Him? Would you believe in Him? That's what this is all set up to do to deal with our deadness. No trespasses and sin. Because Jesus in the book of Matthew, when he was foretold that he would come, specifically for one reason. To deal with the sins of his people. He will pay for them. That's what he came to do. Are you a sinner today in need of forgiveness? Come to Christ. Believe him. Trust him. Repent of your sin. And bow to him and ask him to forgive. He will. He does. By faith. By his grace, he's the one that does it. Believe in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness and your the wonder of who Christ is. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to endure all that, despising the shame. You faced the cross. You faced the mocking. You faced all that. You faced the deadness of sin and trespasses, even amongst your disciples, because you knew what would come and what was going to happen when you sent your Holy Spirit. And oh, how we're so thankful that you did. We thank you for all these things and more. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your word, which teaches us these things. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. That you would even work in the minds and hearts of those who've never trusted in you, that they would trust. That they would simply do the work of God just to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Lord, I pray that you would work in their minds and hearts. Change them like you did with us. Make new, O oh Lord, that which is impossible for us is possible with you. Make it happen, Lord. Do it again. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.